Yes, hello and welcome to the very first episode of Bio 2040. I'm um, very excited to uh, have you join us. Uh, this is a podcast where I'll be interviewing uh, interesting thought leaders in the wider biology drug discovery uh, space. And I'm, I'm uh, very excited to have uh, my first guest uh, on the show. His name is uh, Marcio Van Mueller. And uh, I came across him because he uh, had written a very, very interesting blog post a few years ago about the need for a GitHub for science. And uh, yeah, I'd love to, uh, Marcio, uh, welcome uh, and uh, say hi and please introduce yourself a little bit to, uh, to, to our audience so that they know who you are. Uh, thanks, Flavio. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and I really appreciate you uh, asking me to, uh, to join your podcast. Um, so my relationship to, uh, kind of drug discovery and biology, um, uh, basically comes from me doing a PhD, uh, at MIT in biological engineering. Uh, this was from 2005 to 2010. So, you know, I was a research scientist, uh, kind of upstream, uh, at the, at the beginning of the long process of, uh, of creating new drugs, uh, and creating the tools that help the people create drugs. Um, so I can tell you a little bit more about kind of that department and what I did, and then maybe into some of the issues, uh, that I ran into and, and kind of some of the ways that people are trying to, to solve those problems. Um, does that sound good? Yeah, please, please. Yeah. I'd love to hear about the background uh, of your work and, and what exactly you were working on. Great. Um, okay. So as I mentioned, I was in this bioengineering department, uh, which is a really great, uh, department. Uh, there's a, a kind of a legendary department head there called Doug Laufenberger. And, and he had this, uh, this insight and this vision of applying engineering techniques to biological problems. Um, and so human disease is a big one. There's, there's also other areas like agriculture and manufacturing that folks from that department are, are going off and tackling. Um, one of the key goals of the department was to create better tools for people to work with biology. Um, and, and that's where the lab that, um, that I worked in fit in. Uh, I worked with Scott Manalis, um, who is now a, a, a professor there. Um, and uh, Scott has an interesting background. He's actually uh, like an applied physicist uh, in mechanical engineering uh, by mechanical engineer by training. Uh, but he was in this bioengineering department, um, you know, because he was bringing uh, that perspective of, of how do you um, uh, exploit physical principles uh, to build tools for biologies. Um, and so the actual uh, research project that I was in um, was uh, something to create uh, tools, to detect the concentration of, of um, uh, proteins uh, and other types of uh, molecules uh, inside of biological samples. Uh, so that's a really common problem. Let's say you have, you know, a sample of blood or a sample of uh, some cell extract that's been prepared in some way. Now you want to know what's in that sample. Um, and so there's a lot of techniques and tools that, you know, will help you do that. Uh, we were trying to develop uh, another one uh, and we were trying to develop something that had the potential to be very, very cheap. Um, and so it could be used, um, you know, all the time. Uh, the, the, the kind of mental model we had was um, that in the future, you know, people would wake up, they would go to the kitchen, they'd make their, prepare their breakfast, um, you know, put in some bread in the toaster, and then they would put their thumb on a device that extracted some blood from, from their thumb, uh, and then measured a bunch of properties about um, their blood. And, you know, it would tell them, um, hey, is, is there something going on that's, uh, that's not good? Um, are you with me so far? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so in order to actually do this detection, we were, uh, again, uh, applying some physical principles that had to do with uh, uh, these uh, micro-mechanical cantilevers, these very small structures that would vibrate at a certain um, uh, characteristic resonant frequency, uh, just like a guitar string. You know, if you pluck it, it will make a certain sound. And it turned out that if you uh, functionalize that cantilever, if you attached antibodies to it and uh, some specific biological molecules became attached or stuck to the cantilever, the resonant frequency would change. Uh, mm. It's just like a, just like a guitar string. You know, if you if you make it heavier or if you, if you attach something to it, the sound will change. Um, so we were using that same principle to then make a biological measurement. Um, and so that's what I did uh, for for years uh, okay. was to figure out you know how do we make this new kind of measurement work. Um, and our goal was, how do we make this measurement uh, help someone detect cancer uh, from a blood sample? Uh, and it. so we were... So the, thank you. So, so the main... Uh, the, 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 the innovation was in, in the way you you'd, uh, use these... Uh, I guess you, you're, you're talking about resonant frequencies. So you, you're using uh, electromagnetic waves. Uh, uh, is that right? Uh, on, on this uh, medium you introduced? And then that, that, that sort of depending on what is present in the blood, you sort of see a different uh, chart. Did I get that roughly, roughly correctly or? Yeah, roughly, roughly. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we have this, uh, this cantilever, uh, think like a, you know, guitar string, it's vibrating and we're measuring that vibration. We actually measured it by bouncing a laser beam off of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then we would measure the movement of that laser beam. But uh, yeah, you, you, you summarize it uh, pretty well. Okay, great. And and um, maybe can you tell us a bit what, the, what was the outcome at the end? Did you were you able to to build a system that that actually uh, uh, was massively cheaper? Or was it? I'm understanding it, a big problem in these things is, is accuracy. There's this whole scandal around uh, Terranus who tried to do something I guess similar, and then for years and years duped their investors and the public about how good it was and. Uh, it, so I'm wondering, what was your? Did, were you were you most successful in them, or, or what was sort of the the result of, of of that work? Yeah, no, it's funny you bring them up. Uh, so there's certainly a controversial, uh, you know, company, uh, and you know, as Theranos was coming out and and kind of talking about what they did, which you know, as you just said, is similar to what I was doing. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I was a very, you know, kind of interested observer uh, because mm -hmm. they were claim they were claiming to have solved all these problems that I was running yeah. into. And that I knew that in the you know scientific community, no one had solved those problems, um, mm -hmm. and, and so you know myself and many others were very skeptical. Like, how can this company, you know, possibly have solved everything? It just seems unlikely. Right. It's not impossible, but it's just unlikely. Right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, later it turned out well, they hadn't actually solved those problems. And then <laughs> people like me were like, "Oh, yeah, that's kind of what we thought." Um, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, in my lab, uh, you know, we did make some advances. I did, you know, uh, discover some things, publish some papers, get a PhD. Um, uh, I would say we went like, uh, I don't know, 5% of the way to actually having a, a finished, you know, product or a technology that could be commercialized. Mm -hmm. um, so we overcame some hurdles, uh, but there were still many other hurdles, you know, on Got the it. way to, to making this commercially viable. Got it. Do you know if people are still, uh, the group you were with, that they, they, they took that further and, and kept developing it? You know they did, um, and and I and I also need to say I wasn't the the first person that worked on this approach. I was actually building on the work of a of a previous uh, member of the lab, yeah. um, 
And it turned out that the specific direction I went in uh, kind of wound up being a dead end, but there was a related direction that I participated a little bit in that wound up being very fruitful and very interesting. Um, and it's actually now uh, pretty, I don't know if I could call it widely used, but um, the, the, that same lab is still working with that uh, approach. There's a company that spun out of it. Um, they're, they're collaborating with many other labs. Um, and it became more of a tool to make very specific uh, measurements about cells, uh, and particularly their mass and their growth rate, um, and less of a diagnostic tool to detect, say, the concentration of you know, a protein in a sample of blood. Um, so, you know, this is actually very common in science is, uh, you don't really know what's going to work. Uh, and so, you know, you, you try new things, um, and you're very, you know, diligent and deliberate about it. Uh, and then maybe the thing that you thought was going to work doesn't actually work or doesn't work as well as you hoped, but along the way you discover, you know, additional applications. Um, and often those turn out to be, you know, pretty fruitful. Right. Uh, and so, and so that's what happened in this lab, you know, just as what happens in, in many other scientific endeavors. Yeah. 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 It's cool. It's if you can keep the open mind, uh, many great discoveries, right. Were, were made, uh, in very random, uh, settings, penicillin and, and others uh, that, that come to mind. Uh, uh, even CRISPR, uh, right. They, 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 they were sort of a fluke in a way that they discovered it. Now it's the biggest thing since, since sliced bread in, in biology. So, uh, very, very interesting how not straightforward and, and probably luck, uh, hard work and luck plays, plays a role in, in finding some of the most important stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great. Let's switch gears a little bit and, and talk about the, um, you know, how we met, you know, was, was reading your article on, on the get up for science. What was the, give us a little bit of the context around how that idea, uh, sort of came to mind and, and, yeah, how you how you developed it, and what do you what were you thinking at the time? Maybe first, and and then maybe maybe take us to today, and 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 give us how how the landscape, as far as you were aware of it, has, has changed, and and uh, what is was actual now. But take us first back to the to where you were, and how that sort of came about. Yeah, um, so you know, I was this research scientist uh, essentially, you know, a grad student getting a PhD, uh, and I saw the whole research life cycle. Uh, kind of the way that, uh, you know, people like professors get ideas, they turn those ideas into grants, grants get turned into experiments, and then papers, uh, papers help you get jobs and more grants. Uh, and sometimes uh, some stuff gets commercialized along the way. Um, so, you know, I kind of just I, I lived in that world for a bit um, for, for those years. Uh, and I was around everyone else who was living in that world. Uh, and so, you know, when you are in that world, you learn uh, things like the importance of the paper. Uh, and the, the paper is like the unit of measure uh, in the academic world. Um, and, you know, uh, people know about this, right? But when you really, when you're doing it, when you're writing papers, when you're peer reviewing, um, you just understand it at a deeper level. Um, and it's actually a, a pretty cool kind of, uh, you know, tradition and like the way it works. Uh, it's basically, you know, the way scientific publishing works. There's this long tradition that goes back centuries of, you know, scientists coming together. Um, you know, back then, there's very few people who could afford to do science, and they would write letters to each other, and someone would collect the letters and then, you know, bound it into a manuscript and, and go to a printing press and, and print off a bunch of, um, you know, issues, um, 
and then mail them to, to folks. Uh, and, and that was basically the same system, you know, for a long, long time. And, and, and scientists today are, are still, uh, you know, building off of that, uh, which in a way is really cool, right? Like it's this long tradition that, that we're a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in another way, uh, you know, as I was doing this work in, in 2005 uh, through t- 2010, it seems really odd. Um, like, why are we communicating with each other with something that's, you know, uh, basically like a piece of paper that's been turned into a PDF that's hosted on a website? Um, like, isn't there a better way to communicate now? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just thought that that was a, a, a super kind of simple and obvious question. Um, and, you know, there's a few reasons for that. Uh, one, PDFs uh, are actually not that great communication mediums, uh, in my mind. Like, they're not interactive, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's limitations around, uh, you know, t- t- typography and, and the space there. And um, there's just, like, more that you can do in digital interfaces. Uh, and that's where everyone actually reads, you know, papers these days, or at least, like, the vast majority of folks. You know, they're not getting something in the mail and reading it. They're going online on a device often a mobile device. Um, so I just thought that the, the format uh, just didn't fit the, the use case. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, there's other kind of frustrations that I think every scientist runs into. Uh, a, a big one is needing a license to read certain papers. Mm-hmm. Um, so at a you know, place like MIT, a very well-resourced you know, institution, I was tremendously you know, privileged and honored to be there. Uh, but MIT does not have a license to every journal in the world because those licenses are super expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I mentioned I was working on some uh, cancer, um, you know, biology and doing a project that involved cancer diagnostics. Um, so it turned out I wanted to read some papers that had to do with cancer. Um, and those papers uh, sometimes were published uh, by medical societies, uh, and MIT did not have a medical school. Uh, mm. So MIT didn't have access to those journals. Hmm. Um, so that really made me upset. It's like, what do you mean? I can't, you know, read someone else's research. Yeah. Um, like this, you know, scientists wrote it, scientists reviewed it. Um, yeah. and now another scientist is trying to read it. And yeah. there's some you know, institution somewhere that's making money off of me not being able to read it. Like yeah. that was, that was very upsetting. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, again, that's not just me. Like a lot of people run into that. Um, and, and get frustrated. Uh, so, you know, there have, there have been, and back then there were already efforts to kind of, you know, fix some of these things, this whole movement around, you know, something called open access. Um, there's a journal called, a publisher called Public Library of Science, which, you know, had a, has a f- many journals at this point. Back then, I think they had three, um, where all the publications are open access. Uh, there's something in the life sciences called Archive, which is mm-hmm. A-R-X-I-V, Mm-hmm. Uh, where they basically figured out, you know, that this access thing is should just be solved by every scientist putting all of their papers in one place, which is free and, and you know, easy to access. And they call it a preprint service. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw that there were some solutions out there, but not in life sciences, uh, you know, for, for a few reasons. Um, and, and one of them being that life sciences research is really expensive. Um, and so, like, the, the way you get funded at, and the way you can like actually be in that community, um, I think influences a lot how people communicate. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so, you know, I, I, you know, to summarize, I, in the process of doing this research, I ran into these problems, uh, that I felt were big problems in how, uh, folks communicated. Um, and I started thinking about, you know, solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it, 
it took a long time to kind of bring those ideas, you know, more uh, into focus. Um, and again, I wasn't the only one. A lot of folks were, were thinking about this. Yeah. Um, okay. So, okay so, I'll also, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, it's just that, you know, you just saw, it looks like it's not a problem, not a problem. And then you said, okay, well, is there a better way to do that? And you, you had this sort of idea. At some point you had this idea for, I guess you, you were also involved in, in some computer science, or at least GitHub was on your radar uh, back then already. And, and, and then you, you put one and one together, I guess, and said, hey, why don't we have that? Uh, for for more biology or, or science je- uh, related papers in, in general. Um, yeah, you know, so definitely, you know, got there eventually, uh, and and of course, you know, GitHub is uh, I think really succeeds based on this open source community, and you know, Git was was developed by you know the same guy uh, who uh, created Linux. Um, so all of that was kind of happening you know, on some degree in this other community, I just wasn't aware of it. Um, and then, you know, later when I ran into it, it was like just putting, you know, two pieces of a puzzle together. Right. right. Um, but um, yeah, you know, just, just one, uh, one other uh, kind of aspect that I think is really important and that mm-hmm. I learned back when I was still in grad school mm-hmm. is this concept of um, like publications are not just a, a way to message. They're like the scoreboard. Um you know, the research is really competitive. There's a lot more people who want to get grants and do science than there is funding mm-hmm. uh, available. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's almost like there's funding available for maybe 5% of the people who would want to do it. Um, and it's really clear who the top 1% of scientists are. Uh, you know, some of the most you know brilliant people in the world um, become scientists and, and work incredibly hard and they come up with amazing things and it's everyone knows like, yeah, that person deserves funding. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, you know, what about the other like 4% that make up that top 5%? Like mm-hmm. who, who are they? How do you tell, you know, who gets hired, who gets, who gets grants? Right. Um, so it turns out it's mostly publication record. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's literally, you know, where have you published? How much impact have your papers had? Mm-hmm. And, if you say published, uh, you know, in my field, if you published in nature biotechnology a couple of times, like that was a golden ticket. Like that meant you had done two very important things and you could get a faculty job. Right. Um, so the, the publication, the journals are not just how you talk about your stuff. It's how you, you know, advance in your career. Right. Um, and so that actually leads to all kinds of problems uh, and side effects, you know, bad side effects. Uh, because now people are incentivized to publish more than they are in some sense to incentivize to do good science. Mm. Um, and so you get into things like P hacking um, and, you know, no one publishes negative results. Um, like it turns out the, the, the publication record is not the pristine, you know, beautiful representative thing that everyone wishes that it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of um, kind of gamesmanship and politics behind the scenes of, you know, who gets published where mm-hmm. Um and uh, there's like a you know sociology dynamic here, like who are the the, the editors? You know who who is controlling, um, you know what gets published what? Mm. Uh, it turns out you know it's the people who've been in the field for a long time. Um, you know it, it's the tenured faculty at the major institutions, right? Um, and you know they're really smart, hardworking people. Like they've earned their position, mm-hmm. um, and you know I applaud them for that. Um, you know, but they also have some biases, right? Like they, they're, they, they will have certain things that they were involved in creating and they will want those things to continue to be studied. Uh, and so they'll, they're going to, they'll be more likely to fund, you know, research that they like or that adds to their 
you know, kind of mental model of the world, right. then research that challenges that or that is completely different. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, that to me just seemed like an inefficiency in the system. Mm. Um, and then, you know, coming back to publications and, and like the system you use to communicate, um, I, I kind of started understanding like, oh, the reason why scientists don't, you know, move to a better system is that the existing system is good for the people who've been in it for a long time. Right. Um, and so, you know, they, they, it's a kind of symbiotic relationship there. And in order to move to something better, like you can't just have better technology um, or, you know, better ideas. Like you actually need a better system mm-hmm. um, that, that, you know, not just helps to communicate science, but also takes into account uh, all these incentives of the different actors, you know, in the system and like who's going to get funded and who's going to get a faculty job. Um, you know, that all needs to somehow be accounted for. So, so what I, I guess what I'm hearing is that it's it's really not a technology as you're saying the entire apparatus of uh, this entire ecosystem that sort of feeds off of uh, uh, this or where, where the, the publication is sort of a very important uh, yardstick that really has a can have a huge impact on um, your ability to get funded, your ability to get a tenure and jobs and things like that, and so. Uh, it's, it's much more, uh, it's a much bigger shift, right? There's a lot of, uh, ingrained, uh, uh, people, uh, in the system that, that are, that are benefit, that are benefiting now. They've built up their assets within that system, if you will. And they're very, very reluctant to let, uh, power go. Right. So it seems like, cause that's actually leading me to, a, um, I was kind of had the answer to the question. The next question I wanted to ask you is like, you, know, you wrote that article, uh, years ago, and, and and you know now uh, it's like uh, seven years later, I think, and, and we still, you know, there's been a lot of stuff that has happened, and still a lot of uh, so there are online platforms for people, you know, there's the preprint stuff, and there are some platforms uh, where people can share, you know, data, uh, you know, images, things like Figshare uh, are around. Uh, and yet still a lot of the research still gets published in the very same PDFs you mentioned. And a lot of it is still not open access. Uh, and, and even when it is open access, sometimes scientists uh, will, you know, they'll discover something, but they sort of don't have all the data to back it up. So they'll keep that. Uh, what I've been reading and hearing is that they'll keep that uh, 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 discovery to themselves, maybe for two years, three years until they get to a point where it's, it's publishable. And, and in all that time, they're sort of, if you will, uh, holding back the rest of us scientists. Uh, and, and by not, by not sharing the discovery, which we could have potentially already, already used. Right. So it's, and it's, it's related exactly directly to your, uh, assessment now that it's, that it's, that it's really these, these people that have the power, uh, have very little incentive to, to give any of it away, uh, in, in a sort of a new, uh, system right yeah that's right um and you know uh i it's not like those those people in power now it's not like they're bad people like they're mm-hmm. great people they're they've they're really smart they've worked their whole life you know f- towards science and and you know we should applaud them for that um but you know these these systems are complex uh, and it's very hard to um you know switch away from them or to like change one part while keeping you know the other part the same uh or, or the greater system the same um and you know at kind of made me jumping forward a little bit as an entrepreneur now, um, you know, and having been in Silicon Valley and, and helped build a couple technology companies, 
uh, I've realized that it's very it's hard to to get these complex systems to change, mm-hmm. uh, but it is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, it's often the case that uh, change doesn't come like from the top; it comes you know bottoms up, mm-hmm. um, or it comes when there's something that's so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, you, uh, you know, that, then a previous process that, uh, is just like blindingly obvious to everyone that, that, you know, they should adopt this new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you look at the dynamics in like a consumer marketplace versus an enterprise marketplace. Uh, you know, consumers can adopt a new technology really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Even if the technology is like, uh, broken in some ways, uh, like when uh, Snapchat came out, mm-hmm. you know, it was very, very hard to learn how to use it. Mm-hmm. It took me, it took me years before I understood, mm-hmm. you know, how Snapchat works. Uh, and yet, you know, lots of people were, were using it mostly, you know, younger, uh, younger people. Right, right. Um, whereas, uh, you know, if you're an enterprise, uh, a lot of enterprises are still using, you know, mainframes and, um, you know, uh, they're communicating with, you know, word files and the, uh, in in healthcare, there's still a lot of faxing going on, mm-hmm. which seems totally archaic, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not like science is an exception. Uh, you can think of science as like one big enterprise. Mm-hmm. It's like one big you know government funded system. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're you're trying to sell into like a giant enterprise, um, like a Walmart or something, uh, I guess uh, maybe Walmart's a bad example because they're a pretty efficient, mm-hmm. you know, fast moving company. But uh, large enterprises that are monopolies don't need to move very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the enterprise of science is like one giant company that is a monopoly and therefore they don't change very fast. Interesting. That's a, that's a new way of, uh, I hadn't looked at it that way, but, but I guess it, may, it makes sense. So, so I guess the, the question still is, do you have, a, do you have a, an inkling on intuition as to what it's going to take to, to, to make a change there? Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, this notion of, I think, of, of bottoms-up adoption um, is, uh, it does apply, right? Um, and then another experience I had in my professional life was working at Dropbox mm. uh, and helping build out Dropbox for Business, uh, which is, a, you know, an exciting and, and pretty successful product uh, today. Uh, and the way Dropbox works, it's not that the, you know, CIO um, or, or top-level executives decide, like, hey, we as a company are going to start using this product. Um the the product is so useful on its own that individuals and then small teams start using it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that, uh, you know, small growth uh, or usage, you get some growth around it. And then eventually it becomes like an important part of the fabric of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see the potential for, you know, other technologies. And you mentioned some, um, you know, like Figshare, um, uh, Altmetrics, uh, you know, there's the social networks around scientists um, I, I do see them having some potential to kind of sh- get adoption and show like, Hey, here's a better way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it will be like a separate process for, you know, kind of the larger players to say like, Oh yeah, that is a better way of doing things. Let's incorporate that into our grant, um, you know, uh, making process, mm-hmm. uh, or into our, uh, faculty hiring process. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, only when, these new ways of doing things become ingrained in those kind of financial decisions. That's when people will, will say like, Oh, I don't have to do things the old way. I can do things the new way and still get credit and still mm-hmm. dance in my career, you know? And that's when they'll actually start switching in math. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's a, it's a great way to look at it. I, 
it, it reminds me of uh, you know the, the Gates Foundation's project, which which you know they, they released. Uh, I think it's called like the Open Gates Open Research or something of that sort. Where I think they're it's an interesting way. I'm actually not sure is it bottom up or, or top down. It's maybe a bit of both, but they're I think they're saying, hey, here's you know if you're gonna uh, get money from from Gates Foundation, these are, these are people working on malaria, tuberculosis, uh, really diseases that affect the third world uh, the most. And, and if you're gonna get funding from us, you sort of have to use. Uh, our platform, I think, and, and, and this, it's a platform they've just released and, and they, they promise you to, you know, I think from, from the, the, the day you submit an article to, to submission is like, uh, sorry, to, from submission to publication, I think they have a seven day process and then they have sort of open peer review. So after it's published, there's peer review. And, um, they're also, uh, sort of incentivizing people to have sort of continuous, publishing right the data coming in as you as you discover data whether it's positive or negative uh you know to publish the data uh on the go so that you're sort of not not holding back the data and so i think that that's one one i think for me at least it was looking at this this particular problem was one of the more interesting um approaches where they're combining and they're doing exactly what you're saying right they're, they're saying it's, it's it has an impact on your ability to get money uh, and, and then suddenly there's this other way. Um, and then maybe, maybe it, it, the, I guess the hope is that, uh, this catches on and, and, uh, and more people, uh, either start, you know, using their platform or, or I think now it's only open for people that are funded by the Gates Foundation, but, but there's sort of this incentive here. And I think the NIH, uh, has, has been, uh, very positive about this project and thinks that there could be really something that changes science. Uh, in the long term, so so just summarizing, I, th- I think the analysis of, of technology plus plus, I guess in this sense, financial incentive, and if you combine them, uh, that's probably when you have enough sort of um, uh, gravity, if you will, or some enough pulling energy, pulling force that can that can really make people well. Okay, let me let me try this new way now, uh, and then maybe if you get uh, you know thinking about the uh, crossing the chasm. Uh, um, mental model, right? You, you need to have those early adopters in one in one part of it. Uh, find your beachhead market, and then maybe uh, if that catches on, and you see these people getting, you know, published and they're getting funding, and then people talk about that, and then um, that that could be one way, uh, or that's probably the only way it's going to catch on. It's going to start, right? It's not going to be a global sweep. It's going to start in in a small community, maybe two, three small, maybe at the beginning, kind of niche communities. And as they become successful and visible, they might start um, pulling in other people. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and, you know, that this is already happening, like, to, to some degrees. Um, it hasn't completely happened yet. Uh, but, you know, I mentioned, uh, you know, projects like uh, Public Library of Science are, are much more visible today mm-hmm. than they were in the past um, the open access problem in many ways is solved by, uh, this, uh, kind of pirate site. Sci-Hub. Yeah. Sci-Hub, yeah, yeah. which I think is actually down right now. Okay. You know, I heard from a friend. Um, but you know, uh, I think enough folks, you know, have gotten upset enough about, especially like actual scientists not being able to find, you know, research that, went through the system like it's ridiculous yeah. um that you know as you mentioned uh you know entities like nih are 
uh, you know, uh, leaning and, and putting some pressure, at least on the open side. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the, this bigger shift, uh, you know, away from the paper as the unit of measure and the unit of communication, like th- that has not happened yet in yeah. life sciences. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of many problems uh, in in the same area, right? It's not just one one issue uh, to be solved with, with just a simple technology. Uh, it's, it's sort of very convoluted, uh, many different uh, interests, uh, things that are just traditionally done and, and so forth uh, that, that are changing, I guess, step by step, right? Because I, I could totally imagine... Uh, I mean, you know, signs being presented in 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 in, in a sort of a slide in a slide slide share, right? Uh, I mean, it, and it is it, at conferences and things. People share share slides or, or maybe uh, you know just the data. Uh, that's another thing I'm, uh, that I've heard. It, it, I guess, and it was part of your your GitHub for Science motivation as well. Was you know, it, it's one thing to show uh, the results. Uh, it's another thing to show the, the especially in biology, right? To show the protocol. Uh, how did you uh, set up your lab? Uh, what sort of, you know, what was the measurement? Uh, what was the microscope setting? What was the temperature? Uh, how did you dye your cells? Things like that. And then to, to be able to really reproduce it, right? Because another, another problem seems to be a big problem in biology. Seems And it's again tied to this whole incentive thing is where you, uh, there's a very, very strong incentive to publish positive results that are sort of very exciting, right? Because that that'll get you into uh, cell and 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 and, uh, and nature and all these papers. Versus where you, uh, if you reproduce something uh, or fail to reproduce, it's sort of not that exciting uh, for the publishers to to publish, and so it's not very exciting for you to write a paper about because you can't get funding with it and so forth. Right? But it, but it actually would be very important in many cases to 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 show that it's reproducible or or, or to show that it's not in in some cases where you mentioned also. People have been, uh, it's definitely, a, a, I think, a fairly big problem that people are either p-hacking or, or outright uh, uh, just faking data. Right? And, and so uh, uh, all these problems yeah. are sort of connected. And, and, and so the GitHub for Science, I really like because it would it would just, um, I think somehow the open source community managed to build a, a, a tool and processes for itself where, um, you know, all these problems, sort of, it's, it's very elegant, right? You publish a piece of code. People can take that code and they can just run it and then they can see whether it works or not and they can amend it. And it's, it's, I mean, I guess it's sort of the unique properties of code that allow that, but it's, 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 it's it feels very elegant, right? If we had something closer to that in, in biology, uh, that, I guess that would be a, a big boon to, to everyone in the field ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, the repro- reproducibility that you mentioned is a huge problem. Uh, and, and it's one that, you know, the scientists feel it because you can't be 100% sure that something you read, uh, you know, is actually, you know, the, the truth. And there's not some, you know, hidden, um, hidden story behind what was published. Um, industry feels it, uh, you know, because they're, they're trying to commercialize research. Uh, and, they will often fail to, you know, reproduce research from the scientific community um, because it just, you know, it wasn't an actual discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just wasted effort in trying to, you know, go down that direction. Um, and then society suffers, right? I mean, at the end of the day, most of the funding for science comes from governments. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes from our taxes. Mm-hmm. Like, it comes from all of us, right? And right. so we should, we should want the system to be as efficient at turning that money into discoveries as possible. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we should be looking for mechanisms to improve the efficiency 
of you know how things are done today. Yeah. Um, now you know as you mentioned, you know the way GitHub works is just really, really you know beautiful and elegant, and and it solves so many of these problems, right? Uh, like anyone can publish anything. Um, the the limitation is not you know can you publish? The limitation is you know, what is worthy of people talking about mm -hmm. and contributing to. Mm -hmm. And then you can, you can measure, you know, based on the number of downloads uh, and, and how many times your code is embedded in, in you know, in someone else's, right. uh, you know, code or application, you know, how important it is. Right. And, and so you get this, um, you know, the, the credit kind of gets distributed automatically and, mm -hmm. and there's not a committee, there's not a committee at some point that says, you know, is your project important or not? Right. Uh, right. Uh, and, you know, for, for better and for worse, right? So there's a lot of stuff up there that's probably completely useless, mm -hmm. but that's okay. Yeah. Like, it's not expensive, you know, to host, right. you know, content that, content that no one's looking at. Right, right, uh, right. right. Is, do you see a way if we had sort of more, uh, you know, I think uh, there's a trend now towards automated labs where you set, you know, your parameters and then they sort of run the experiments for you and they send you back the results, uh, you know, I, to be honest, I don't understand enough of that world yet. But is that is there a? Do you see the the, the uh, sort of rising of that ability to do that with these machines, these automated sort of testing ways? That that there needs to be some. I mean, there, I'm assuming there needs to be some sort of protocol, you know, setting code as well for that machine. Like, first you take these cells and you die them this way, and this happens. And then if that that sort of becomes code in a way, right? And then that could potentially be something uh, uh, that that would work a, a bit more into that direction is, is, is the answer maybe to, to codify biology or, or is there, is that sort of not enough? There's, does there need to be a different paradigm or uh, something else that is missing uh, in order to, to, to get to a more elegant solution like GitHub? Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely a start. Um, and you know, there's certain times, some types of research that are going to be more amenable to that than others. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's so much that goes into, uh, like sample preparation, um, you know, where did you get your cells? Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, what is the temperature of your lab? What is the humidity? Mm. You know, what brand, what brand of micropipette do you use? <laughs> you know, where did, where did your antibodies come from? Mm -hmm. And, you know, which run of, you know, the antibody number in your provider, you know, like there's, a, there's just like a lot of information that um, in some ways, uh, it, it doesn't all come like in a nice API that you can just, you know, throw it in one place and say, here's my research. Mm -hmm. um, but you can imagine, you know, as you said, like, well, you know, there are going to, there is going to be more automation. There are more things that, you know, are, are kind of going to throw off data as a side effect of, of using them. Mm -hmm. um, like, let's just start taking advantage of that. Like, let's start putting that data, you know, in one place. Right. Um, and I think very importantly, like, you know, the notion of the audit log, uh, which is a you know common thing in, in enterprises, um, which just lets you just show later, like yeah, you know we did these things at this time. Uh, I feel that everything that throws off data in a scientific lab that's funded by the government, like all of that data should be going somewhere that anyone can later go and look at it yeah. uh, and learn from it. Yeah. Um, you know, the data does not belong to the lab; it belongs to the people that paid for it, yeah. which is you know us. Uh, yeah. And and so. Uh, I think we can, we, we should aspire to a system like that. Uh, again, it is a big culture shift. Uh, the, the uh, a principal investigator, you know, ahead of a lab would look, they may, they may react to this idea and say like, well, you know, that's not how I do things. And I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for 20 years. Like, 
<laughs> who are you? <laughs> you know, go back to Silicon Valley and make apps for you know for kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you you will you will get this cultural resistance. Right. Um, but you know, coming back, you you mentioned the Gates Foundation. Um, you know, Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, I think, is also you know making some plans in that direction. I do think it's inevitable. Um, it's more it's a question of you know how quickly does it happen? Right. 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 Yeah. It it is. I I just want to remind the listeners. It, it is sort of perverse once you think about the uh, um how this whole funding thing works. Right. So we we as taxpayers fund a lot of the science through NIH grant and public universities and scientists, you know, they, they take that money, they do the work and then they have to pay uh, publishers in order to get published, right? There's a submission fee and then a publication fee. Uh, and then again, uh, other scientists, uh, other universities need to pay. Sometimes people in the same university need to pay to read the very research that was already paid for the, uh, the the taxpayers twice, right? Once to, to get it done, once then again to publish it, and then a third time, sort of, if you will, to get to get to be able to read it. And so it's it's sort of uh, uh, these, I call them middlemen, right? Or, or rent seekers. The, 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 I mean, I'm sure they also fulfill some important function. You know, they, they do sort of uh, uh, edit it and make sure that only the best papers get published and they sort of check that there's no fake data and things like that. It's not. It's not that they're not adding any value, but they're sort of in a very privileged position where, and we're sort of because they have that they're, they're sort of owning that status, right? They they're the status givers in a way by by deciding whether you get published or not. They have all this power, and they're they're definitely banking on it big time, right? And that's where the the GitHub system is really really elegant, where they're not taking any fees. Uh, for for doing that, right? Uh, just as you said, anybody can publish, and then the crowd really decides by, and it shows by what gets implemented, whose whose work has uh, been uh, really useful, and then you build social credit through that as a software engineer, and then you can get hired and things like that. So it's it's a, it's an interesting uh, way to look at these two worlds and see how they're in some ways similar, in some ways very very different uh, through that. Um, yeah, great. I, I think, Marcia, we're, we're, we're uh, about to get to the end of, of our podcast here. Uh, I, I do want to ask, sort of to, to round it off, is there any uh, any science, uh, whether biology or not, or anything that, that you're particularly uh, excited about uh, that, uh, I don't know, something just that, that has recently sort of captured your attention and, and you want to look in more or you want maybe our listeners to, to have a look as well? Uh, yeah, so I think there's been two kind of really world-changing uh, discoveries in the last uh, maybe five years. Mm. Um, I think one you mentioned earlier is CRISPR, you know, which is this new molecular biology technique to edit genomes. Uh, it, it really is a huge deal, right? Because it's just um, it, it's like going from like assembly language to like Python or something mm-hmm. as a software engineer. Like mm-hmm. like people are just gonna. They're, they've become way more productive at doing, you know, important things um, in, in terms of how biology is done. So uh, the, the hype is real, essentially, uh, in, all, in all that space. Um, uh, I, my, I myself have not, uh, you know, I'm not working in that area, but I'm looking forward to the advances of the people who are. Yeah. Um, and then the, the other kind of big thing that, you know, everyone's talking about these days uh, is kind of a cliche here in San Francisco um, is blockchain yeah. and, and cryptocurrencies and all of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me that uh, the, the Bitcoin white paper, I guess this was in 2008, so m- more than five years ago, actually. Yeah, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it was a paper, right? Like it was a publication. Yeah. Um, 
it was not published in nature or science. Yeah. Um, but, but in retrospect, it's the most you know important publication of that era. Yeah. Uh, right. It's, it's created this, this massive uh, ecosystem and tons of people are working on top of it. And so it, it just shows, um, you know, that the journal system like isn't actually necessary to, you know, point out what the most important uh, publications are. Um, you know, that's my takeaway from it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it actually, it was published as a PDF, uh, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but then the actual implementation of, you know, the protocol and like the client is in GitHub. Yeah. Right? That's where people go to, to get it. So it, it kind of shows both sides of, you know, this, this area that, that I'm interested in. Um, and yeah, you know, of course it's also just a super interesting technology and I think people are building, you know, fascinating things on top of it. Uh, a, a, a lot of, uh, you know, scams and, and whatnot <laughs> in that area as well. It's, it's a low, it's very much at the top of the hype cycle right now. Yeah. Um, but, but I do think that there's some, you know, interesting, uh, possibilities, uh, based on, you know, the, the properties of, of, of that uh, technology. Yeah. 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 No, really glad you, you, you brought that up. I, I, I see the, uh, uh, the, again, it's the same thing we just talked about with the, with the PDF, but then the code was on GitHub and is is publicly reviewable, right? And, and people have, uh, I think it's part of the reason why it's gotten so successful is also because it has been open source and that people have been able to really scrutinize it and that people have tried to hack it in, in, in many different ways and, and it sort of hasn't been done yet, right? Uh, people uh, sort of, it still counts as a very, very secure and through that, uh, people have started investing a lot more time and money into it. And then people have also forked it, right? We've seen Litecoin is sort of a very easy, easy fork of it. Uh, and, and then people have built much more advanced stuff. But they all started uh, with the, the initial idea. It was really uh, uh, what Bitcoin brought together. And then, and then now there's thousand clones of clones or improvements, if you will, uh, of it. And it's, 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 it's a never, it's a, it's a, it's a non-ending, uh, this is, this hype thing is not going to, there, there might be hype in terms of the perception, but, but the, the, the code for me is what's real, right? Like people, real engineers working on it, improving the system. And these people are sort of infected with the blockchain virus and they're, they're not going to get rid of that virus so quickly. So <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's definitely very interesting uh that you brought that up and and um yeah i, th- I think there's al- there's also by the way there's also stuff happening in uh, uh there's a guy that i'm probably we should have on the podcast who uh, uh runs a website called blockchain for science and he's sort of looking at um you know some of the things including some of the things we talked about how can you use the blockchain to sort of store data you know storing patient data on it and then they can be permission based they can release it you know this whole idea of uh, now you have your data is locked into a few different healthcare providers have different uh, little slices of your data but it's not unified and it's not sort of clear who can see it and not see it and you want to share it as a patient to some people and not others and so there's a lot of uh, very interesting stuff happening in that that area that we should probably dig into as a part of the podcast as well um yeah, wonderful. Uh, any any last uh, thing you want to say, uh, or should we uh, <laughs> leave it at the excitement uh, for blockchain as a uh, um, ending note? Yeah, no, I think that's a good ending. So uh, thanks, Flavio, for um, for having me. Great, Marcio. Really appreciate having you on the show. Very interesting conversation, and uh, we'll see you around. Thanks. Likewise. Bye.